Welcome back to The Red Carpet, the podcast where we look at how well or how terribly our favorite books have been adapted to the big screen. I'm editing Cass, and I know you're used to mad reading this part, but it's just me for right now to introduce the long-awaited, by at least one person, second half of our Prisoner of Azkaban episode that we recorded with Joseph. Without further ado, I will let you get into the episode so you can hear what Madison had to say after that cliffhanger that I left you on last episode. And I'm really not that sorry about it. Bye! The thing I I really don't understand why they took it out is the Marauders. Are we getting into bad changes already? I mean, that is that is first next up on the list. It is next up. How negative changes. Negative changes. Numero uno. Don't explain the core four characters of the book. Yeah. And it's just so I don't because we do like they do talk about them like we have the Marauders map, but there's no discussion about who they are. And the thing that really bugged me the most about it is that at no point Harry was like, wait, how did you know this was the map? How did you literally? This how is did the you know to Lupin once he doesn't ask or question once? No. And yeah. I was like, OK, if you're not going to mention them, sure. But you have to at least like. You have to do something. Yeah, I don't know. So this is this is my main gripe with this movie. Again, I love the book, but this is it sets them down a path, I think, right? So the Marauders, right? This connection with Lupin and um, Sirius and how that kind of transitions into the Order of the Phoenix, right? It's really becomes integral to the plot and like the trajectory of Harry's development, right? And his relationships with these characters from his parents' past. And without this development in this scene, like you said, Cass, they have to make up for it by adding in these conversations that get a lot more personal with Remus that didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of those conversations were about magic. Like Remus comes off kind of like pretty nerdy about learning the Patronus and why it's useful and you know uh, he gets really not to get ahead but you know when when harry does the big one the big patronus at the end of the movie uh, or book and saves the day right remus the last time he talks to him like is super excited that he pulled this off and like that's what they talk about but instead it's like they're super quick to get into this personal oh i knew you i was i was best friends with your parents harry and uh you know all this stuff and those conversations didn't happen and it I didn't think about it in the past, but looking at this more critically now, I think they had to invent those situations because without those, Harry siding with Sirius and Remus is like completely unbelievable, right? Yeah. yeah. Like he doesn't know who they are. All of a sudden, like, you know, the rat transforms. Okay, it's Peter Pettigrew. You have some story. He's supposed to be dead. That's not like damning evidence, right? It is tough. And then also like the symbolism with the stag, the stag means nothing to Harry without yeah, it being yeah. his dad, right? He's just like, yeah, it was my dad. Why? Like, there's no connection. So it's yeah, it's really tough. And, you know, for the casual audience, just because I brought this up before, right? So my mom is a really great, like, sort of barometer for this because she loves this stuff that, like, you know, me and my sisters are super into. But, of course, she doesn't get it. And so we, we would, like, go to these movies growing up. And then the drive home, she'd be like, Okay, you have to explain it to me now or whatever. And mm-hmm. this is really where, you know, she didn't have questions about number one and number two, right? But this was like, why does why does Harry like them all of a sudden? And then the next book, it's like, 
why is he like, you know, really siding with them or, or trying to live with Sirius, you know, and it's just like, it feels unearned for that connection, right? Which makes me sad because it's like the biggest, it's probably the most intense relationship of the of the series is between Harry and Sirius. I mean, it's one of them for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it kind of is heartbreaking because it sends them down this path that just don't buy into it as much as you should mm-hmm, if right. you read the books. Mm-hmm. I know. You talked about this in the first one, Cass. Like they really lean on people having read the books. Yes. Yeah. And this Which is feels where... Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And this is the first movie that that feels like a very prevalent thing. Yeah. Because where they it's never... like critical. Yeah. Like the Shrieking Shack scene that we mentioned, like the acting is great, but also like even Sirius telling his story, you're not getting the full story in the movie. Like it's so different and missing out on that explanation of who the Marauders are and what this friendship was like. And just watching the movie, you do not get any of the, the intensity of the book where they're like Remus and Sirius thinking each other was the spy this whole time. Yeah. And then Sirius went to thinking, okay, no, it's Pettigrew and confronting him. Like you miss out on all the emotion of that. And the fact that Sirius lost two of his best friends and then went and confronted the other one and then technically loses his other best friend because he gets sent to Azkaban. Remus loses every single best friend in one night. It's incredibly sad. It's so tragic. It absolutely is. And they're all, they're 21 when this happens. Like, right. Yeah. And they're so young. They're so like, we're all like a few years older than that. And I'm like, I can't imagine, like, it's just, you miss out on that in the movie and the book Mm -hmm. gives you some of that context of how important these friendships were to these people. Yeah. It really does culminate all at the same time, right? Harry has a little bit of a connection with Remus, right? He hears a little bit of these stories and, and Hogsmeade from, um, you know, the Madam, uh, Rose Murda and, you know, yeah. from Fudge, uh, you know, Sirius was their friend. Uh, you know, he hears this stuff. They talk about the secret keeper, uh, which that never comes up. Yeah. Right. Oh my they gosh, just, that never even betrayal. gets mentioned. They never say it, which I get it. It's kind of like crunchy. If you don't want to have people read the book, don't use a specific term, but like they never say the, the sentence. Sirius gave them up to Voldemort. Like that is just never even said. They just say like yeah. general betrayed. That's like, well, yeah. what does that mean? Right. So it, it loses that, uh, the teeth of those, of that betrayal, right. It, mm-hmm. it loses the depth. And then when you realize this whole time, like you said, Remus, you know, was worried that Sirius was the one who really did this, you know, all of a sudden it's, it's Pettigrew and Pettigrew's alive, right. All these things, not just from Harry, but from the other major characters all coming out at once first kind of realizing that they're alive and then you're like oh and he and like so it's just this rush of emotion and it's just kind of like you get this feeling like yeah lots happening but like why do we care and and that's really tough it's a it's a huge missed opportunity and they use the code words like the code names in the in the rest of the like movies you know like Voldemort calls you know Peter Wormtail which is weird. And then right, uh, yeah. uh, Harry says, you know, they have Padfoot to, to Snape later on. It's like, literally, it was never said out loud in the movie. Who each person was. Who each person was. Yeah. Right. I know. Yeah. All I could think about when 
Lupin like gets the map when it's Snape and Harry in the corridor. I could think about, I was like, what is going through his head? Like he's seen his best friend's like nicknames on this piece of paper for the first time in years at this point. And there's not even like a hint of anything that like it was personal at any point. Yeah. And he plays it so cool in the book too. And in the book, it's again, in a totally different spot because it's after that second time Harry goes to Hogsmeade and he's in Snape's office. Right. And Snape like calls him through the flu and is like, you need to get in because Snape knows those nicknames. You know that Snape knows. And that's it. Everyone knows besides Harry. And then they never say it out loud. It's like, Harry doesn't Mm -hmm. catch on to Mm -hmm. 20 years of backstory. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. Uh, I did have this perfect vision of like how they could have incorporated something at the end when Lupin is packing up and it's like the old timey like record player music. I was like, just put in a little flashback of all of them as kids as friends together. The flashbacks were historically not very good in Harry Potter. It's always like that, like sepia tone. I know, but it's fine. Just Just tell the story. (laughs) So, okay, yeah, so then, so the other thing is yeah. more broadly, right? So storyline doesn't kind of make sense. They also never say that the Shrieking Shack is for Remus. It never gets mentioned. Yeah. Never gets mentioned that the Whomping Willow is there to protect the passageway, which in the book I remember thinking was quite long. Like they said they took multiple minutes to walk, you know, like 10 minutes to walk mm-hmm. on the yeah. ground. It yeah. seemed like it was super close. Kind of in the, like, I I remember very distinctly feeling like Whomping Willow is kind of near the castle. Of course, it is a number two, right? It's right next to the right. castle. And that the shack is kind of miles away, right? So that's It is because it's off. in Hogsmeade, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So they never mention that, never bring up specifically that the friends became Animagus, Animagus to, to help their friend out. It's this yeah. huge, like, we all trusted each other. We're not just friends. We like did this huge forbidden like, magic Can never undo it. Illegal yeah. magic that has this huge ramification on the rest of your life. And we did it to help our friend, including yeah. Peter. You only yeah. think there, you just have this impression of Peter. Like, why would they ever been friends with this guy? It's like, well, yeah, but you never told them why that they were good friends. Right. So you don't build up that. So he's not that great a villain. I mean, you hate him for sure. Cause he's gross, yeah. but but also, why was he fat? Like Scabbers was was uh, incredibly sick. They they talk. They about specifically that. talk about how he looks like a man who recently lost all his weight. Which yeah, because he's sickly because he's so stressed. But I found the part in the book where they talk about the passageway. So where does this tunnel come out? Hermione asked breathlessly from behind him. I don't know. It's marked on the Marauders map, but Fred and George said no one's ever gotten into it. It goes off the edge of the map, but it looks like it was heading for Hogsmeade. They moved as fast as they could, bent almost double ahead of them. Crookshank's tail bobbed in and out of view. On and on the passage went. It felt at least as long as the one to Honey Dukes. All Harry could think of was Ron and what the enormous dog might be doing to him. He was drawing breath in sharp, painful gasps, running at a crouch. Uh, Yeah, so they're like in it for a while. Like they're getting out of breath. They're like running down this long path. Okay, yeah. which which really transitions into my next point, which is characters are pretty severely misrepresented, I think. Their intentions are really, uh, I think, misdirected compared to the book, right? So, for instance, Sirius, right, doesn't bite Ron. He drags him 
Ron tries to hook his foot on the root, Sirius has to pull him in, breaks his leg, mm -hmm. right? Not Sirius's intention, right? In the in the movie, Sirius Black is a crazed lunatic murderer up until the very second that Harry believes he's no longer the bad guy. And they they take out a critical scene of uh, Sirius standing over Ron's bed, waiting to like stab scabbers and then runs away. And so the whole time, everyone only is led to believe that he's after Harry. And there's no buildup to the fact that, no, he's hunting down the real bad guy to save Harry, right? And so I think ultimately for me, you have this in the book, there's this feeling of tension that Harry and those people close to him are in mortal danger. And then the big twist, of course, is that the person he should care about and who actually cares about him is the one who's in mortal danger, but the roles flip, right? The serious is, is getting hunted and he's actually the one who probably loves Harry the most that is left alive, right? And that he's been risking so much, including escaping Azkaban, which they never talk about that he turns into, you know, the wolf form to get out. Pretty serious thing that would have taken one sentence to mention, but. Yeah, know. they really gloss over how bad the Dementors really are and like what it's like being yeah. in Azkaban. Yeah. And that whole conversation when the kids ask Hagrid, like, what was it actually like when you were there? Like, you don't get any of that, like, real. And Hagrid goes like sheet white and he's like, yeah, I don't even want to talk about it. It was so, yeah. it was yeah. so terrible. So it's, so it's hard for me. This is, this to me is the biggest thing, right? The story is tough because it changes the trajectory of the other ones, but also everyone's intention. So you talked, Cass, you talked about Ron and his big divergence. And so this was really stuck out to me because they make Ron out to be kind of like a sniveling coward, which he clearly is not, you know, so smaller. Especially because he has so much bravado when he's talking yes, about things. Right. He definitely like. Is he scared of things? <laughs> yes, but he definitely plays it up when he's talking to people. You guys, the the this got the Draco Ron parallel when Draco gets swiped by Buckbeak in the movie, and he's like, they almost had to amputate it. And then at the end, when Ron's like, they might have to chop it off. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's, it's very what? it's very clever. It was right? so like, funny. The parallelism <laughs> is very funny. But he doesn't stand up for Hermione when when Snape oh, calls no, her an insufferable no at Listen, all. listen. This part I wrote it down when he when Snape is subbing, and in the book it's specifically like Snape calls her an insufferable no at all. The an insufferable no at all for answering the question, and this the book specifically says every student looked appalled, even though they had all called her that in the past, and then Ron speaks up and says well if you didn't want her to answer the question why did you even ask ron gets a detention defending her this book this this book is where we see the seeds of ron and hermione being in love and i hate it when people who've only watched the movies are like why are they together they don't belong together i'm like read the freaking books the clues were planted from the very beginning it ah! so cheapens the relationship right because what yes. do they what do they add in to make up for that Oh, Hermione gets scared and grabs his hand. Hermione so Granger what? would never. Right. She has to be less, right? She yeah. has to come down. It can't be that right. Ron is elevated, right? It can't be that yeah. he shows his best features, right? So, okay. So he, he, they don't show standing up for Hermione. He also stands up uh, to Snape again for Harry uh, in a following potions class. I don't remember what class it was, but anyway, he stands up for Harry. Yeah. Uh, he also like is the person who tries to 
organize uh, the material to defend Buckbeak at trial, which they completely glance over. Right. I get that that needs to be cut. I mean, it's certainly the weakest of yeah. these things, but it's, yeah. it's, you know, he is brave. He does this stuff. And then of course, the biggest one of all, after breaking his leg, not just getting a bite, but literally breaking his leg, stands up in front of Harry, in front of Sirius Black, and says, you have to go through me if you want to kill Harry. It's this huge moment where you realize that Harry and his closest friends are just have the same amount of trust and protectiveness and like just feelings of true love that yeah. James and Lily and their friends had. And like that's supposed to be this big moment. And again, what is that kind of replaced with is... Well, I mean, you know, her mind is the same thing, but again, it's like, okay, yeah, she's standing there, but like, why not have Ron do that, right? It's this big, powerful moment, and then it's just changed to kind of a normal moment. And that's not to say anything against Hermione. It's just the other one, obviously, is a lot of symbolism. Uh, right. So, I, you know, they got to do your boy like that. It makes the him ending up with Hermione much less believable in the future, right? So, plus Hermione deserves better, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, I, this is like, another scene where I'm like yeah it makes sense that they cut this because it's kind of a one-off scene that doesn't actually matter the Christmas dinner when there's like no one left at Hogwarts Ron and Harry go down to dinner Scabbers is in Ron's pocket because Crookshanks is on the war path so they go down to dinner they're all sitting Trelawney comes in Dumbledore stands up and says why don't you join us and she's like no that would mean there was 13 of us at the table blah 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 whoever the first to rise will die but the thing is because scabbers peter pettigrew is already in ron's pocket there's already 13 people at the table dumbledore stood up dumbledore dies before any of those people like just like those small little easter eggs that yeah like notice you don't know if you haven't read the book so it's like that's kind of like a inconsequential in a way moment but like i love that moment because like the more i think about it up she was right (laughs) yeah she was was. she's not crazy right yeah Uh, her the belittling of her field of magic is really like a interesting perspective that they have and that Hermione it's the one thing that she's bad at in school and so it's (laughs) garbage right like and that Mm -hmm. you know that's not the attitude of all the other teachers but you but then you have to kind of step back and remember that like this is the best wizarding school in the world every one of these professors are the most qualified, right? Just because she's this great character, yeah, that she has this, she really does have the vision. She really does have this interpretation and and can cast herself into the beyond. It's uh, beyond. it's it's in in retrospect, he, I I kind of don't want to give Joanne so much credit in making all these masterful little scenes, but right. um, I mean, what can we say? She uh, she did it so. Yeah. Well, I think also a lot of it is what you take out of the things that you read. She That might not have been her intention. In a recent episode, not a recent episode, in an episode that I listened to recently of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, they refer back to when they interviewed John Green and he said, it's your book until it goes out and is published. And then it's the fan's book. Yeah, right. And I'm like, that's right in a way because it's like whatever you take out of that book is like your own interpretation so I like you're the one constructing meaning as you are reading it it's right it's a cooperative thing it's not just a static relationship yeah Yeah. absolutely uh should we get into positive changes there's only a couple I have I have something that's both a negative and a positive change oh yeah go for it and that's low-rise jeans 
<laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's the so period, bad, but I love it. It's the first time we see them out of robes for the majority of the time. And like those outfits are so period locked. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And that's the thing. That's again, another choice that Alfonso Cuaron made that kind of plays into the later movies. He wanted to have the kids have more of their own personality. Personal so that's identity. why he was like, yeah. let's get muggle clothes in there. But also that's why all the kids have their uniforms worn completely different is he told every single person acting as a student wear your uniform the way you think your character would wear it so that's why like their ties are all tied wrong and like some of them have untucked shirts which is like that part of it I like and it's a cool choice but like they are in muggle clothes a lot and like in the books they are never wearing muggle clothes except if it's summer so it's a choice for sure yeah I think it's it's supposed to be this like, well, I don't know, supposed to, but it, it really serves as this sort of dichotomy between how fantastic this setting is. And then mm-hmm. like, you know, Hermione's just got like a zip up hoodie on, right? Like it just yeah. feels so like plain. And then you're like, yeah. And then you have a flying horse eagle that you're learning how to ride, right? It's, right. it's uh, yeah, I think it really sells this story. But also I think I think book number three and movie number three really serves as that transition point that says Mm -hmm. Harry is going to extend beyond school. School becomes less and less important. And Alfonso did a really great job of pointing those seeds in now, because I don't think there's a ton of opportunity to do that in book four. And then by the time you get to five, they're just not in school like a bunch anymore, right? Like it's kind of too late to have that start. So I do like that choice from the, from the perspective adaptation as a whole of the series I think that was a good choice yeah definitely I agree oh I liked that (laughs) random character that they just add I don't know who this kid is how he got into this movie but I don't even know if this is his name this is what I've seen him called Bem the kid that's like the Nigerian student right yes we all know who you mean so so good he's like a cute little boy he gives the best performance out of any of the students. And it's like a one-off. It's, it's like so compelling. And he's like 12 years old. Yes. It's so wild. And I love it so much. I'm like, Bem, you got my heart, man. Yeah. I love you. He's and we awesome. never see him again. No, he's, he's never gone. in After any yeah. of the other movies. They invent this character. He's a, he's he's like, a specter, just like the Grim. Yes. Yes. Maybe he <laughs> was so the Grim. Meanwhile, we never get to see Peeves. A specter I would love to have seen at the movies. Listen, listen to it. Don't get me. I've ranted listen, about thieves. Listen before. to both of our Harry Potter episodes. Yes. Please. <laughs> I guess oh, I could listen man. to that without spoilers, huh? You could. Um, you absolutely could. <laughs> you absolutely could. One thing I I really enjoyed seeing. I felt like Harry was way sassier in the movie in this one. There were just yeah, he was so- gritting his teeth a lot. There. There were just so many more like one-liners where I was like, ah, oh, that's just so much better than, I don't know, what we'd seen before. How can anyone be in two places at once? <laughs> okay, oh, here, that's not the, even the a good is, one. Listen, the thing that gets me, that reminded me, I know that Harry says that at the end and it's like funny, but not like that is funny. Is it? Um, but funny. how in, in the book and sort of in the movie, in the book, Harry <laughs> has no idea what's going on with her mind. Never thinks about it once. But it's always Ron is like, where did she come from? She was just with us. Where did she go? She wasn't with us. How did she get to? Ron likes Hermione. 
And yeah. then they explain it to Ron in full detail because he's their best friend. And they yes. like, yeah, we want to catch you up. Like, they don't just yeah. laugh at him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ron <laughs> tried to protect us and got his leg bitten off. Like, oh my I, God. Ron turns into such unfortunate comedic relief in, it's too in these bad. movies. Yeah. And I just, it is too bad. They, man, these movie people really hate the Weasleys, huh? What's up with okay. that? I do want to say one other kind of minor uh, bad change. I still think it's important to mention, and that is that where is the uh, Crookshanks redemption arc? Because they 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 show Crookshanks all matted up, got all this you know bad fur. You know it's a, it's one of those I don't know anything about cats, but it's got these real smushed eyes, right? And they're like, oh, it's a bad, it's a mean cat. He's eating the rat, and you're like, wait, I'm supposed to like a rat? Like rats are gross. Like how they you know, how they even <laughs> convince us kids, right, that it's the other way around? But then it's like. Oh no, Crookshanks, as it turns out, was on a secret mission from Sirius the whole time to take out the the actual evil guy. But then Crookshanks is bad. And then like, uh, and then Crookshanks is like watching out for them. And then like uh, Ron gets the cute little baby owl at the end. Uh, Yes, uh, big widget. And Crookshanks hits the tree and lets them get into the passage. Like Crookshanks is so important. Like a small cat, like a helpful. I have a theory that I've heard from other people, but I also firmly believe this with all of my heart, that Crookshanks was the cat that Lily and James owned. Because in book seven, there's that picture and there's like an orange cat's feet running in the bottom of the picture. Like you never see a full cat. Yes, in book seven, in the letter that Harry finds with the picture ripped, you see like part of an orange cat. I think it's Crookshanks. And it's like, okay, of course, because how else would Crookshanks have like been like, oh, I know this dog. I know this person. I'm going to help him. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) You just blew my mind. Crookshanks is the cat that Lillian James owned. That's like my one fan theory that I'm like, this is the absolute truth. There's no way that this is not true in my mind. Oh my God. Right. Like and when they're in the pet store and Crookshanks jumps down on Ron's head, saw Harry and was like, wait, I know that person. Cause Harry looks like James and is like, I got to go with these people. I got to get them to buy me. <laughs> that makes me so sad. I mean, Yes. Well, but it's not a yes. sad ending for Crookshanks, so it's okay. I know, okay. I know. Crookshanks lives forever. This cat is just I mean, immortal. <laughs> it would it check was, out. It was only 13 years, right? Cats yeah, Crookshanks could have been ever. like two. Yeah, right. cats do live a long time. I believe. Plus, it's a magical cat, so. And, I mean, if we really want to take this to the extreme, might have seen Peter, might have known that he was a rat. True, 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 true. I buy it. I buy it. I'm so Crookshanks in. knows. He knows. Justice right. for Crookshanks. Yeah. Yeah. Justice absolutely. for Crookshanks. <laughs> wow. On to our yeah, questions section. Let's rock and roll. I <laughs> I loved your question, Kath. Before you get into it, I had the same question. I had to pause the movie and go, like, I was like, what are the ram? Okay, I don't want to get too far ahead, but I was like, this has like, I know this is magic, but I'm like, this doesn't even seem like eternally consistent. Yes. <laughs> so all right go ahead please go ahead it's the same thing we talked about in chamber of secrets episode with the polyjuice poly potion juice. discrepancy 
this movie really brings into focus the animagus animagus um, form discrepancy where like in the first movie you see McGonagall transform into a cat a couple times and when she transforms back into a person she has clothes on she definitely has all her clothes on in in this one we also see Sirius and Wormtail transforming they have their clothes on when they turn back into humans however when we go to the fifth movie which makes no sense Sirius goes in dog form to King's Cross with them they go into a secret room and he has to like get this robe that someone hands him because he's naked I'm like okay so did he was he naked when he left Grimmauld Place like it's not it's, even consistent in the same ugh. scene Peter yeah. shrinks down loses his clothes Yes, oh, yeah. and then comes back and has his literal yeah. shirt torn where he was cut in dog form so we yeah. know that it carries over it's it makes no sense at all and it's like also, why also uh, doesn't peter have the same outfit on the next time we see him so what is he yeah, in so. those gross suits like apparently <laughs> it's so frustrating and i'm like i'm like this would have taken you two seconds to correct right Oh, did I miss? Uh, there was a good change I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah, go for it. I really, really like, and this is kind of a small thing, but I really enjoyed the fact that Harry had fun while writing Buckbeak in the movie. Because uh, yeah. in the book, he's like nervous the whole time. Obviously, it's a big, scary animal. And when he gets off Buckbeak, he says, I prefer riding my broom. And of course, it's supposed to be this, you know, Harry's in control of the broom. He's obviously a kind of famous flyer kind of thing, right? He's ex extremely talented. So to have someone else be in control, you know, like another animal like that. However, in the movie, it's literally one of the most magical scenes in yeah. the whole franchise. Yeah. That when you see the, you know, they they show that the campus has completely changed, right? It's it's much more fantastical. It's not just that flat courtyard with Hagrid's hut, you know, next to a very realistic castle. Like it's got those pumpkins, there's the bridge, right? All this stuff. And then you zoom out and you're like, it's not just a lake. It is a enormous valley. It's like a, a almost fjord level, gorgeous view of wherever they are in uh, Britain. It's, it's truly fantastic and really kind of is like, it just was a really <laughs> special, like, yeah. you know, he enjoyed it. And he's like, for this one moment, I'm not the chosen one. I'm not being yeah. hunted by a murderer. I'm not being hunted long-term by Voldemort. I'm just I'm a kid. Like, I'm just a kid. This is amazing. Magic is real. I'm good at magic or whatever. I can enjoy this. And then he comes back and it's immediately ruined, right? And I think that is a major theme that I think about for Harry specifically are these mm -hmm. kind of moments of extreme happiness and sort of like relief and then immediately followed up or sandwiched right bookended by very tragic events right and and it's right. this it's this um roller coaster ride and i think this is just one more thing certainly less important but just kind of really showcases how his journey is affected by all these things so yeah um anyway i really enjoyed that i love that scene <laughs> it's so, like so when harry's fun. just like has his arms out and it's just the pure joy. Like, I can't help but smile when I, I watch that scene. I it's know. so fun. And Buckbeak, too, right? 
just dragging yeah. his, his talent yeah. in the water. It's like, you know, that they were just like, let's show off our effects because they've really upgraded. Yeah. yeah. Well, literally, right? Like, it you works, definitely though. have that feeling. You're like, look at the, the ray tracing on the water or whatever. You know, it's like, it's so much better. And then it's also like, I think there is some symbolism there with true freedom. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you see Buckbeak the next time. And he's got the the chain on his neck, right? Yeah. And so again, it's this, it's not just for Harry, but it's it's the people around right. him. And kind of that trope of like whoever is close to him is also gonna be, be hurt, right? That's so typical for you know chosen people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I thought it really kind of was emblematic of of uh the how the movie is going. And also like seeing a headwig fly, that's a really another great transition where it's spring. Uh, you know, it becomes fall and starts snowing. And it's just, again, this gorgeous scene of Hedwig truly flying in the snow. Like, it's just, I mean, it's much better than those Whomping Willow transition scenes, which took up like a precious two minutes of the movie that they could have spent talking about who Padfoot and Prongs were. Uh, <laughs> but instead they showed a bird getting smacked. Uh, I, I, as a kid, I was furious about that for like literal years. I was like... <laughs> They wasted like two minutes. They couldn't, they didn't even say who prongs. Like I never, I didn't get over it. Like it yeah. was, I was just shouting to my mom in the car ride home. Right. It was just like. <laughs> oh, so funny. Well, I want to know what are the odds the executioner is just Argus Filch in a mask? Is what I want to know. <laughs> it does look like him, but he's it quite a bit younger. It looks like him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it name? would definitely be Argus. His name's McNair. Um, McNair, yeah. But. Right. It would definitely be Argus Filch if they were like, hey, you want to execute a student? Because he's all about that life. You know that he has done some terrible things in his life. If it were a child and not an animal, it would definitely be Argus Filch. 100%. Although I do want to say a little justice for for Argus, who, again, very (laughs) short-shrifted in his life. Yeah. Uh, big, Big claw marks across the fat lady. And everyone's like, where is she? We got to hunt her down. We got to find her. And I know Peeves found her in the book, but in the movie, they're like, we don't have to look for her. She's like right there. And he like yeah. just spots her and he like does it. No problem. And just Karen misses Norris around. So cute, by the way, you just have this appreciation, <laughs> like just because he's, you know, uh, I forget the term where he should be squib. mad, but he's not squib. Thank you. He still can be effective in these other ways. Yeah. I don't know. I, he's creepy, he, but like, you gotta be, I hate kids, the, right? In the like, movies, he's so I hate, I hate kids. Oh my God. There's 12, like, right? Like they're, they're annoying. They're running around and like, if they get into the, you know, the, the West wing of the castle or whatever, and, and, you know, the dog Cerberus is there, like, yeah, like the kid's gonna die. Like he's mad because they're gonna die, not because like I don't know. It's just it's the more it's again it's the same thing with like teenage angst and stuff, and I can stand it less and less. Definitely, Filch is someone who I've come to appreciate more and more, <laughs> and like the struggle that he's gone through. It's like, I mean, yeah, oh, it's funny. Yep. All right, well, let's move on to setting. How we pictured it versus on screen. Um, I got this fact from the IMDb trivia page. The reason why we see so much more of Hogwarts looking this way and like the grounds is apparently Alfonso Cuaron wanted it to have a very defined layout and a very defined feel. And these changes are are good. Like they stick around for the rest of the series, but the rest of the movies also start to add some uh, different pieces. Cause in the first two, it definitely, you'd see like great hall 
staircases common room whereas in this one you see okay the great hall opens up into this big entrance hall and then there's the staircase that like feels lived in yeah you see it feels more authentic yeah Yeah. you go to that courtyard with the bell tower absolutely Um, yeah i I think the only thing like the only reason i didn't absolutely love the setting was because clearly they just changed it right in the same way that it's like all right, they got, uh, you know, Flitwick's whole deal has changed. They got a new Dumbledore. You know, it's it, it, Hagrid's hut isn't right there. It's like if they had had it the whole time, I would absolutely love it. There'd be no discrepancy. And it's really just mm-hmm. the fact that it changed. So keeping that aside, I think it's like way better than what I imagined as a kid, right? Like yeah. Hagrid's hut with those giant pumpkins. I just love that look and feel. Yeah. Yeah. It makes more sense. He's close to the forest. It never made sense to me as a kid. Where you have this, you know, giant front end, you have the gate to the castle, you have a lawn, Hagrid's hut is like right there, like a hundred yards away, and then it's boom, dark forest, never go in there, you can see it out of your window, it's super close, but it's like never go, I don't know, it's just the idea that it's a little bit more removed, you got to cross a bridge and, you know, walk it down a little bit, like it made more sense to me, Yeah, um, yeah. and I'm, I'm just glad it did stick around. Um, the rest mm-hmm. of the time for sure also the whopping will is in a better spot you know yeah just like more spread out it feels like a real like campus of a school right. of this magnitude like an right. estate actually yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but also the great hall is a much more realistic size like they make it so grand in in uh you know like movie one and two it's just this enormous thing and then in number three like it's still big but it's like you know it just seems more like no that's like a real castle like they could be inside yeah. a real castle right now i know they mm-hmm. did film parts of it inside a real castle but yeah right. i bought it more right um yeah and and i think it was so good that whatever i've i've certainly forgotten whatever i first imagined as a kid because yeah. it's, it's great it's that mm-hmm. yeah right soundtrack style vibes this is the last one that john williams did She's artsy. She's moody. Moody. Huge, I love it. Huge moody. Dumbledore's edgy moody. <laughs> yeah. He's young. He's hip. He's moving. And then we this get actual where, moody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. This is where we really start to see this shift into the darkness of, okay, Voldemort's return is imminent. Like with the end of this movie, you're like, okay, he's Boiling coming trouble, back baby. at some point. Yeah. Oh, and it's song. just. <laughs> the shift is very clear and i really frogs. like it <laughs> it's so good the giant toads yes i i did yeah. write this down specifically for something i i don't know if like i wrote this down as a good change i don't know if it's really a change but i felt more like um i don't know like dread or just like uh, you know the for for harry specifically but the rest of it seemed like no this is like normal like it's just regular school yeah, there's Dementors, but they're way kind of on the outside, right? Like, but this movie, the way that Alfonso really puts us together is like the Dementors floating around is like, has a real effect on the students. Like, it's terrifying. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can see them wherever you are. You go outside and they're, yeah. Yeah, they're far off, but like, they could be here anytime yeah. and they're not going to differ. I mean, that's terrifying that a that like a ghost demon in a black robe is like, he can't tell if you're evil or not. So don't get too close to him or he will suck your soul out. Like it's like <laughs> if I was 12 right? and that was real, I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't go outside. Right. 
So I think it really, and maybe that was just me as a kid, like not fully kind of putting those pieces together, but I did feel like that being a dark tone really helps impress like the stakes of, of how, yep, Sirius Black snuck into the castle. He, yeah. you know, was in the Gryffindor common room, swiped the, the uh, you know, the uh, secret, what is it, the, um, the passwords, uh, you know, mm-hmm. from Neville. Uh, you know, which again, is this, uh, the scene I mentioned before, they should have left it in. I think it would have a big impact on how you view Sirius and wait, why was right. he over Harry's bed? Did he just get it wrong? You know, but yeah, I think also dark tone. This is the first movie that doesn't have a truly happy resolution, like a clean resolution. The best case scenario is this Sirius wasn't caught and killed yet. Right. Yet. Yeah. Yeah. Voldemort wasn't defeated. Right. There wasn't a giant snake that they killed, right? I mean, it's just best case scenario was we escaped for today. Yeah. And and maybe you'll be there tomorrow. It certainly sets up how, I was going to say how serious the rest of the, that's <laughs> how, how, how dark it is, right? Like how, like the stakes are real now. This is not a kid's mm-hmm. movie anymore. And they're not going to just get away with it because they're little scamps and they lost get some lucky. Gryffindor points. Yeah. Like it's. Right. Yeah. You're going to die. Yeah. And these are people who will kill you. Yeah. Let's jump into quotes and facts. And I'm just going to share my last like fact because I've, <laughs> I've sprinkled the other facts in already, but yes, share it. Okay. So let's see. This is part of this is, I think, some lore and rumor that has come from the Harry Potter sets, but I, I have a lot to say about this there's mm. rumor speculation i don't know where it came from i don't know where i heard it first that alfonso Cuaron directed david Dulles and gary oldman to act like not just that they are friends reuniting after all this time but they are like lovers reuniting like that's the emotion he wanted them to have and this goes a lot deeper. Like Wolfstar is one of the number one ships in the Harry Potter world. Yep. When the books came out, people immediately began shipping Remus and Sirius together. Like it was immediate. Like this was on the forums. People began making fanfic, so many things. And apparently this is where it gets into like a lot of speculation, but I've pieced this together over years is that <laughs> people think that when JK caught wind of this ship and how popular it was, that that was part of the decision-making of killing Sirius off because she didn't want people to be doing that. So she just like wiped him out. And there's like a lot more into like her choosing to identify characters as any sort of LGBT status. And like, as we've seen now, woman has gone off the rails. She's a total nut job at this point. Um, Apparently there never were rails, right? Like, right. (laughs) Right. Hmm. But it's just, I think there's, it's, it's interesting the way that because these books came out at a time where there was access to the internet and you have these fans talking about this work in these types of forums that the author can technically access but then also it's like she uses a lot of flimsy excuses of well like being gay wasn't accepted in britain so i couldn't make openly gay characters and it's like piss off like yes your books are selling just i don't it's just like so i don't know 
I've like reevaluated a lot of my thoughts on her over the past years and it's been a very painful process, but I'm like, it's tough. It's, yeah. it's interesting for sure to think that uh, an author could theoretically kill off a character because of the amount of shipping yeah. that people are doing. And I, I think I got that part specifically from like a TikTok a year ago, but it's so sad. Well, yes. I, I also don't think she like, the excuse of saying something like, I'm I'm writing a character who is deep and realistic and is closeted. If it comes out in the series, if there are real clues in the series, that's one thing. Then you're you're, you know, it's a deep, rich fabric of the character or something, right? But how they how they make their decisions and you know, the the people they choose to have relationships with or be friends with and anything like that. But again. There's no reason to think like I, as a teenager, had no. It was. It seemed like a huge jump to just assume like, oh well, Dumbledore is gay because he never married somebody, like that. Especially with Great Britain's like history of all these, you know, like all boys schools and things like that. Like mm-hmm. it, it was like super normal for people who were just really invested in their work to just like never get married, right? Uh, I know famously the um, the two men who discovered DNA had made some joke where they were like, if we were in school with girls or like interested in women, like we wouldn't have discovered this. Something like that. Right. Like, it's this it adding up like, yeah, if I, this is the only thing I care about. Right. So it is, it, if it cheapens it to just be after the fact, like, yeah, he's gay. Doesn't that explain everything? It's like, well, you're saying that now, like, and it's also relying on some bad stereotypes of like, oh, yeah. oh an old yeah. person that like died single. It's because they were closeted. It's like Joanne, seriously. And it's just, Joanne. it's so frustrating to me because it's like, she had the, she had the clout that she could have pulled it off. If yeah. anyone at the time could have done it, it was probably her. And it's just so aggravating and I hate it. And this is why I just, this is why I firmly believe that these characters like in a way no longer belong to her because it's like people have created in fan fiction and just all of these things people have created such rich backstories for so many of these characters and it's just like really beautiful in a way and I just I don't I don't know I don't know how to sum up my feelings on it but I just like that there is a way that we can still engage with these characters without it feeling like wrong in a way because like in some ways I do feel like guilt for still associating with Harry Potter because I'm like she's a terrible person but there are still ways yeah right there are still ways to engage in it that feels like meaningful and like again like I said earlier I think it's gone so far beyond what she originally created that it doesn't necessarily like belong to her in that way like it truly does belong to the fans in this case well and because you know when you think about it when you're reading these things you're not thinking about her you're not thinking anything about who she is or what she is or what she's done again you are co-constructing meaning and significance based on this story and that's completely removed from who she is right as soon as that is published and out the door it doesn't belong to her anymore. The yeah. right. art I, is separate yeah. from the artist. Yeah. It, it and just I has think, to be. And I think, you know, and we've kind of talked about this like personally off the pod, but just like, you know, not we've got our Harry Potter copies. Like we don't need to support her financially anymore, you know, is how I see it. It's like 
I've got what I need from this. I can, you know, I can find awesome fanfic online now that does not support her. And even the reunion was yeah. very clear to yeah. say for anyone who hasn't watched the reunion, right? There's they have a couple brief interviews with Joanne, and there is a scroll on the bottom that says, This was filmed in 2017. Yeah. Dot 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 before she went insane online, right? Like yeah. it, there's this implication like. Well, we thought she was cool before and nothing since we learned what she's really about has made it. And so for, for them, like officially to not include her like that, I think yeah. for anyone who's worried that like, I don't know, going to Harry Potter world is like making her money. Like it won't make a difference. Like enjoy Harry Potter. It doesn't belong to her. It belongs to you and everyone who enjoys it. That got a lot deeper than I was anticipating. <laughs> But Here we good. are. But it's, it's good though. Yeah. Because I feel yeah. like a lot of people, anytime I hear someone talk about Harry Potter, like in a deep way or just like more than just, you know, surface level, this is mm-hmm. what everyone is thinking about. Right. Right. You know? And this yeah. is what everyone is concerned about. So, mm-hmm. well, and it kind of, in my opinion, or the way, the way I remember it, right, is, you know, for you real Potterheads out there, like if you remember going on Pottermore and like, getting sorted into your house and like, you know, doing that stuff. It felt like, you know, first Joanne would write these little things, little tidbits that like she had thought of and didn't, couldn't put in the book somewhere. And at first you're like, this is fun. I love Harry Potter. I get that this history of some random person, like, you know, that you put on a uh, chocolate frog card in a video game and wanted to share somewhere. Like, I get it. It's all interesting. I love it. I want more of it. But then it started to like spiral, right? You know, Dumbledore was gay. You're like, okay, like, I don't really see the evidence or whatever. I mean, sure, he could be, you know, I didn't, you know, whatever. Maybe it's a leap, but okay, sure. And then it was stuff like, and this is a little uh, gross, sorry. But like, they were like, they wizards didn't use toilets until like the 90s. They just (laughs) had a closet. And the went, Chamber of Secrets is in a freaking bathroom, Joanne. <laughs> right. It was like, so what? You built that in the 90s? And they the constructor, like the contractor was like, what do you want me to do with this secret passageway covered in snakes? It's like, it, it doesn't make any sense. And so it went from, yes, give me more Harry. Like, give me, give me more of all that I want as much as I can take into, huh, like maybe there's a reason this didn't make it into the books. And then it went into right. just like, mad scrawlings right like it just kind of was this descent attempts to stay relevant exactly that felt like is that she was clinging to the legacy of harry potter in any way she could yeah which you know which i think is sad because there was no need to do that it's sad right like everybody loves it i used to like i used to feel this way as a kid or where i'd like have there'd be like an actor or, or someone who i really liked and i'd be like Oh, like they haven't made a movie in a couple of years or whatever. Like they or like they made a movie and it wasn't good. And I like feel bad. And then like as I grew up, I was like, how many masterpieces does some does one person have to do before like that's good enough? Right. Like and it totally changed my perspective as from an artist, it's not about this quantity or volume. It's like you you did the big thing, you did it one time. Hopefully things are good for you, you know, as a result. But yeah, she just didn't have to worry about it. She could have just sat back. Yeah, Harry Potter was great. I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> like, just be yeah. universally beloved. I don't know. 
All right. Yep. Let's um does anyone I have a quote I really want to share. Let do we have one we all really want to share? I have a fun fact. Okay, great. What's your <laughs> what's your fun fact? <laughs> okay. So apparently, so okay, the train back to Hogwarts always returns on the 1st of September. Okay. Harry Potter 3 takes place in 1993 in real life. Real life. And the date that they returned was on September 1st, 1993. Of course, when our hero and his friends enter the train and they sit in the train car with Lupin, he is asleep with his coat over him, you know. And uh, apparently, in real life, I wouldn't know I wasn't alive, but in real life, on the night between August 31st into September 1st, it was actually full the moon. full moon in real life. Wow. So he would have been exhausted from having been spending the night as a werewolf. Huh. So the fact that he was just completely drained, what was, Checks again, out. one of these tidbits where you're like, yeah, that's the level of depth that makes this a all-time classic. But also you're like, damn it, Joanne's pretty good, I guess. <laughs> I know it makes me so mad every time I encounter one of those. <laughs> Damn, she's yeah. stuck in another good one. Yeah, right. Wow, uh, that's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. All right, my one of my top top favorite quotes from this is a Trelawney quote, and it's, "Your soul is dry as the pages of the books to which you so desperately cling." <laughs> and that will be on my tombstone. Emma Stone. Oh my god. No one can deliver a line like that. No, it's so good. It makes me laugh every time. Every Emma time. Thompson. This really, I mean, this is hey, her line at her Stone? most bitter. He did say Emma Stone. Did I, I say Emma like... Stone? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize, Dame. Emma Thompson, I'm, please excuse me. Uh, it's just like Hermione no, is bitter the whole movie and then she gets slapped in the face with just like the harshest roast of the series, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, it's. I. And this is another thing that like I you really see in the books that doesn't fully come through in the movie is how like derisive Hermione can be and just like her extreme bitterness really is so fascinating to me and I love it when she gets in these like moods where she's just like tear everything down like her slapping Malfoy and then yeah. walking out of divination class and I love that those things happen like on the same day and she also like skips another class that day it's just like when she goes she really goes and I love it and you don't see it as much in the movies and it's just so like the build of her getting so agitated through this book was so entertaining I also love when she's like is that really what my hair looks like from the back it's so funny (laughs) but also like I didn't it's you re- you don't realize until the end of the movie and book that she's just incredibly stressed out, right? So you're, you you kind of have this like, what what's going on with Hermione? Like, why right. is she bitter? Like, you know, Ron and her have this spat that lasts the most of the book, or there's a couple that yeah. take up the majority of the book, which they kind of don't play up enough. It was it was a pretty big deal. I mean, they're like mad, mm-hmm. but there's never like anyway. Again, just another thing that I don't think was was characterized super well. But there is this realization that again, I think they just gloss over where she's like. I've been taking three schools at a time or whatever, yeah. right? Like, and Ron gets it, he's putting it together and she's just like, you're stupid, Ron. What are you talking about? Yeah, I think again, it's one of these like, you, you just don't get it. I, I didn't get the tone shift. And I was like, is she angsty? Is, is this supposed to be edgy? What edgy teenagers are like? Right. But 
that you saying that reminded me of a part in the book that's not really in the movies when they're all like in the hospital wing at the end and Snape comes back up and is like yelling about it and Dumbledore says to him in the book which this part's not in the movie Dumbledore in the book says to Snape a teacher at Hogwarts who is fully aware of what Hermione is doing with the time turner all year Dumbledore says to Snape how could they have been in two places at once and it's like Snape knows they can't so is he trying to signal to Snape that I'm aware of this and I'm in support of it and you need to just let it go or is this actually like a miswrite that like should not have made it into the book well I kind of uh, to give the the movie the benefit of the doubt like the, the series I think it's one of these things where it's like it could be a signal that Snape needs to lay off of this it could be a signal that if Dumbledore doesn't know like nobody knows you know, I mean, it, the time turner is kind of one of these things where you're like, do people really know about this? Time magic is kind of like a secret hidden magic. So I, but I think, all the professors know she has it. They, they all she like has it. Right. She's in all the classes. They yeah. all know that she and they has had to it. Give I her see permission. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Snape knows full well that they could have gone back in time and saved Buckbeak and Sirius. Like, right. So it's, I don't know, I just, it's, it's a weird moment to me where I'm like, is Dumbledore trying to say like, no, you need to trust me, my little double agent that I treat horribly throughout this whole series. But anyway, finishing up quotes, (laughs) we have, I'm going to share two super quick, one like really nice heartwarming quote that I always resonate with. Happiness can be found even in the darkest of times. If one only remembers to turn on the light, I just, I love it. It's so good. And then my actual favorite quote, <laughs> I did my waiting 12 years of it. It has come on. <laughs> it's so good. It's hard. So good. Sick. Yeah. Uh, it just like the whole end of the book really got to me this time. I've never been super emotional reading the book, this book of the series, but the whole like shrieking shack part onward, I was just like so emotional this time. I was, it's, just thinking about like these people who've lost everything in their lives and like there's so much at stake for Sirius in this moment and it's oh it just gets me it's it's the it's the number one thing I think about anytime I'm like seriously thinking about this series is just how tragic it is right Mm -hmm. like I cry every time in the first movie when he sees his parents for the first time Ugh. it's excruciating Good. and i yeah. and especially because for the first time you get those feelings and you know that other people are having those feelings besides harry right right mm-hmm. you know sirius has this about harry he also has about remus yeah it's just like again we're kind of rehashing but yeah extremely yeah, and powerful. that's why yeah it's that's why part of like you were talking about earlier it's such a disservice to not have the stories of Harry's parents that he hears from these people because like in the books this is how he learns anything about who his parents are is from hearing people talk about them like in the first book Madison like we're saying when he looks in the mirror that's the first time he's seen his parents that he can remember yeah like he doesn't know what they look like because the Dursleys didn't have photos so like taking away some of those moments where he does get to hear about them and their friendships and like what they were like is just uh, and that James saves Severus. They leave that story out. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't have a quote, so I'm yeah. going to say more stuff, but you know, it's just, it's these important things. My dad wouldn't want me to do that or whatever the actual line is, right? Like my dad wouldn't um, want his two best friends to become murderers, that part too. Right. Yeah. Extremely powerful where he feels like for the first time, yeah, I, I have some idea of what my parents were like. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. This might be our first two-parter. I know. <laughs> we might have to split ski this one. I think one. so. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to do it. <laughs> well, we recommend that you read and watch as always. Please. Please, yep. please read, especially like, and so I feel like it's all we've talked about, but there's so much missing. So like really, really read. Definitely check out Marauders fan fiction, I think. Also. Absolutely. All the young dudes. All the young dudes. Devastating. Oh, if you just want to cry for hours on end, all the young dudes. I don't know if you guys are talking Oh my God. I'll send you the link. It's so good. It's so freaking good. And it's just like, it's It's legend level fanfic. It's so freaking good. It's novels. They're novels. It's so long. Yeah. It's so long. I'm not kidding. It took me like, over a month to get through all of it it's like oh. it's so freaking good it's just like so it's all seven years of the marauders at hogwarts and then like oh after God. when they're like in the war and it's just it's canon. And, and these characters like marlene mckinnon dorcas meadows who are mentioned one time in the books like you get whole backstories of them and it's just it's so freaking good i just love it so much um yeah it's so, so good so good so highly recommend definitely check out that um, uh listen to harry potter and the sacred text if yes if you want to listen to in-depth discussions about mm-hmm. themes throughout the books love friendship grief all these things they yep. have some episodes about things like white privilege where they talk about and discuss like they have some really good stuff yeah. so it's wonderful yeah. Cass, what will we be talking about next episode our next episode will be our another fan cast of the love hypothesis. Oh, will it? <laughs> oh, yes, that's what's on the schedule. So <laughs> wonderful. Yep. Yes, that's what's on the schedule. So in the meantime, before that next episode comes out, if you want to send us any recommendations of episodes you would like to hear or if there's an adaptation you're dying to talk about let us know and we will we will probably put you on our podcast yes um, we will. you don't need to have any credentials to come on this podcast None. Zero. I mean, they let me on so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can email us at the red carpet pod at gmail.com that little link is in our po- episode description follow us on instagram at the red carpet pod I'm at Fictional Cass. Matt is at Reading Rainbow. Rate, review, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. Let us know what you think. If you listened to this whole discussion, because it was a lengthy one. So, yes. Um, yeah. Joseph, yeah. thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was lots of fun. Thank you for <laughs> your for your thoughtful comments. Yeah, I hope they were thoughtful. They were. I've They're certainly thought about there. them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> You came very prepared. You're ready to go. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get to know me. yes. Thank you again for coming on. It was a blast. And until next time, everybody. 
XOXOXO. That was a lot of XOXO. That was a lot. We mean it. We mean it. <laughs> we love you so much. XOXO, <laughs> Matt and Cass, and Joseph. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>